Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are in episode 53, it's November 11th. My name is Tyler and of course I'm with my co-hosts Pratik and Nick. So starting off with Nick, how's your day been going? How's your week been going? The week has been going well. It's uh, Veterans Day so get the day off work which is absolutely fantastic. Very happy uh, for that regard, in that regard. But uh, you know it's been a confusing day. You know with the day off and not having to work all day. I don't know what to do with myself. I've been trying to look up how the the EU works, how the European Commission works. Are they a bunch of unelected bureaucrats? What's the deal? I still don't know anything. I feel like a massive idiot. Pratik, how's your day going? It's going well. I was trying to pronounce the Polish defense minister's name. It's Marzwi Broszrak. I got it down, so I'm ready for the show. So Tyler, you want to take it away with the communist China leader celebrity chef story? Yeah, so it's not exactly China, it's actually Vietnam, but just to kick it off on a light note for you guys, we're going to be starting with the communist leader causes outrage after being hand-fed a gold-plated steak by celebrity chef Salt Bay. So the Vietnamese security minister, General To Lam, was filmed at the chef's uh, London restaurant, and these gold-covered steaks range from 850 to 1500 euros. Meanwhile, in Vietnam, they earn between 1400 and 2000 euros a year, and that's for the, uh, the communist government of Vietnam. Um, just showing the the rampant hypocrisy in the communist governments. I just thought it was kind of funny, kind of interesting. Do you guys have any thoughts on the story? I would say um, the opportunity of a gold, uh, frosted gold uh, steak is worth uh, the oppression and suffering of people a million times over. So, frankly, (laughs) you know, I applaud him for his decision. I would want that steak too. Hmm. There was also in this... In the story, it talked about the video appeared on the TikTok account of Salt Bay, whose real name is Nusret Gokke, and it was deleted after sparking controversy in Vietnam because, you know, they're communist. Yeah, I mean, like, the people are starving, and they're just, like, living this extravagant lifestyle. Personally, I don't want to live in a country where my leaders couldn't be extravagant eating gold while I sit and try to scavenge food on the ground or whatever, but hey... To each their own, I suppose. Tyler, with Vietnam, that, Vietnam is not that poor, okay? You don't have people starving in the streets. You don't have them scrounging on the ground. Um, the, the standard of living is not that low. Um, but as you pointed out, yeah, it's a rising and developing nation. And to have someone just dine on a delicacy like this when you're representing a people's party that is pro-worker and you know pro the common man, it's just a, just a bad look. You're absolutely right. I was completely exaggerating. It is growing in the manufacturing uh, sector, especially ever since China has been going all wild. People are looking for some uh, other manufacturing alternatives in Asia. So they are a rising economy. They're not as poor as I made them out to be. But still, when you see these communist leaders going out, living this extravagant lifestyle, when they're promulgating the fact that everyone has to be equal and we all work for each other and no one's above anyone else. Well, clearly they're being hypocritical and it's just fun to kind of point that out. But hey, with that, we're going to move on to Pratik. So what story are we covering, Pratik? Okay, so the U.S. lifts the pandemic travel ban and opens the door to international visitors. <clears throat> so this story, um, I mean, it is, so for the past, like, you know, since COVID started, a lot of countries were placed under the travel ban. And there, this long list of countries even includes countries like Mexico, Canada, and most of Europe which allowed tourists to make long delayed trips and family members to reconnect with loved ones after more than a year and a half apart because of the pandemic. Starting Monday, the U.S. is accepting fully vaccinated travelers as airports and land borders 
doing away with COVID-19 restrictions that dates back to the Trump administration. The new rules allow air travel from previously restricted countries as long as the traveler has proof of vaccination and negative COVID tests. And land travel from Mexico and Canada will require proof of vaccination but no test. So this is a big deal because a lot of these airlines um, haven't been accepting international travelers. So a lot of family members that have been stuck in different countries have been able to reunite with each other in the United States. And... Airlines are expecting more travelers from Europe and elsewhere because of this as well. And many, many of these countries, especially in countries that um, have more restrictions in place, have seen less travel to the U.S. along with other countries. And this allows that, you know, there would be more people able to come back into the U.S. and will allow families to reunite again. So do you guys have any thoughts on the story? Yeah, I think it's just an overall good sign of how we're progressing. We're finally, maybe we've hit the tipping point and are coming out on the other side and things are starting to come back to normal, even though they're not, you know, we, we do have the booster shots. You still have all this political outrage over vaccine mandation, uh, ma- mandates and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, this is a good this is a good thing, I think. They they talk about it in the article how uh, we've seen a lack of visitors from Mexico and a lot of the border towns on the Can- Canadian-Mexico border were suffering a lot from this. And, you know, they'll be helped out from this. Overall, it's good signs for things things to come. Although we still have a lot to work through before we're done with this pandemic, this crisis, it, it does bode well. Um, I did want to add this before Nick comes in. So last last week, I listened to the Glenn Beck program and he gave me a wrong number on how what the percentage was of vaccinations. So apart from that fake news story, the real vaccination rate in the United States of fully vaccinated people is close to 58.6%. Um, and Do you know if that's states, adults or is it uh, just total population? Everyone. Hmm. Everyone. And certain the biggest states are closer to 60%. So California is 61.9%. Florida is 60.2%. New York is 67.3%. Texas is 53.8%. And Pennsylvania is 61.3%. So it's all closer to the 60% range everywhere, basically, throughout the country. But it's like the story, the news says that there's 434 million doses that have been provided and there's 193 million people that are fully vaccinated. Now, I don't know about the booster shots, but basically this kind of, because there's like, you know, at least some immunity to some extent with the vaccination is kind of help with these international visitors and, you know, things going back closer to normal. No, I think, um, well, I, I guess, yes. I don't know why I said no to kick it off. I guess I'm still reeling from uh, your betrayal at the hands of Glenn Beck. What a monster. What a <laughs> just... Unreasonable Are you sure he wasn't being. talking about adults? I feel like there that may have been the discrepancy, but maybe not. I don't know. Glenn Beck yeah, is I'm a not, not here trying to defend Glenn Beck. There is no like, room <laughs> for nuance here. He said what he said, and we're moving past it. Look, uh, right. like you said, with the border towns, that's really good. I do find it a little ironic that some of those border town areas, for example, Texas, with an overall 53 point whatever percent vaccination rate, Eight. being on the lower end uh, of the spectrum when it comes to you know federal implementation of the vaccine i think it's a little ironic that you know the states with the lowest vaccine numbers are going to be the states to see the highest levels of international travel um it also Mm -hmm. gets to at the same point you know we've been having issues with the border where i think i I saw some statistics saying that compared to uh, trump's time in office this time last year you know attempted border crossings are up like 400 percent we've had a million plus people um, already tried to illegally come into the United States through various points in Mexico. 
And so I, I don't know. On the one hand, international travel, good thing. Glad that it's happening again or that it will be happening more. Um, but on the other hand, I think it just points to um, one of the challenges that isn't going to come up for the Biden administration this time around. For example, the midterms, I don't think it'll be a big deal. But once you get to the next election cycle, it's going to be 2016 immigration all over again. And <laughs> I don't know, dude, is this how old people feel when every couple elections end up being the same? Uh, we'll see. Speaking of old people, um, let's talk about the new presidential Biden conversation when it dealed with inflation. So President Biden says reversing rising inflation is a top priority after consumer report shows climbing prices yesterday. So with the story, um, President Biden said he's prepared to go to battle with inflation as the government data confirms a pace of price increases not seen in decades. The BLS or the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported Wednesday morning that prices rose 6.2% on a year-over-year -year basis in October, a pace that fast has not been recorded in the, by the CPI since December 1990. Inflation hurts American po pocketbooks, and reversing this trend is a top priority for me, Biden said in a statement after the CPI data release. The president said his nearly $2 trillion Build Back Better plan will be key to supporting the U.S. economy through recovery, downplaying concerns that it would further ex exacerbate yeah, however you say that word, inflation. Exacerbate. So, yep. Yeah, um, the CPI data, which shows prices rising 0.9% over a month-over-month -month basis, appears to be boosted by higher prices at the pump. Gasoline prices rose by 6.1% just between September and October. And other things such as the chip shortages, the whole supply chain issues, and you know wages increasing in certain places where they can't find workers. All of that stuff has led to the inflation thing. So guys, what are y'all's thoughts on this whole story and Biden um, this being his top priority? Well, I, I think it's kind of funny. I was mentioning it before the podcast, but I think it's kind of funny that Biden's now coming out and saying the, the economy today is in far better shape than it was in a year ago. And while I can't deny that the what's happening now may be a result of what's been happening in the past and maybe our GDP is up, we're facing this crisis right now. The economy right now is not in a great position. And he says, I'm going to battle with inflation. That doesn't mean much to me. Like, what what do you guys think he can do? I mean, they're, they're doing these trillion dollar spending packages. We're spending money out the wazoo. We're printing all this money. And of course, inflation is going to come around. And I'm not sure that President Biden has too much control over it. Like, what's he going to do? He can message to the people and say, look, I'm going to battle this. I'm going to fight this with everything I can manage. But I'm not sure he can manage much. What do you guys think? I think well, uh, part of it. I suppose, or Pratik, I didn't mean to cut you off, but part of it is okay. there's still a lot of issues with uh, some of our ports. So, you know, international shipping largely, you know, sure, there are some planes that are involved with it, but a lot of it is sea-based, maritime-based. And so you have these big, you know, ships with all these containers full of items, full of goods for consumers in the United States and then for us to ship out to other countries. And um, NPR interviewed the executive director of the Port of Oakland on the coast of California, uh, this guy, Danny Wan, and he was saying that uh, the cost to ship these containers is actually 10 times higher than they usually are, which is absolutely astounding. And there's this huge backup of like 70 to 80 or even up to, in some cases, 110 ships that are just waiting to get into these ports. And, you know, granted what Tyler mentioned around inflation, printing a whole lot of money, Powell, you know, we'll see what his political future is like 
after this year. Um, but as far as the shipping and the ports, that is one very real thing that the Biden administration can have an impact on. Um, however, I'm not sure that they've been doing enough because this is still an issue. And here we are. How long have we even been in this pandemic for? Is this a year and a half at this point? I've lost track of yeah, time. Yeah, it was like yeah, March it started last 2019. March. Yeah. So it was a year and a half. March 2020. Maybe a little more. And March 2020. Biden won the election about a year ago. I'm losing today. sense of time, man. So it's, I don't know. There's really no excuse not to have any sort of plan in place for this. So this is my thoughts. Um, I think it's a variety of things. I really don't think that, you know, inflation can really be pinned on anyone. Obviously, a lot of Republicans are going to be of the mindset that, you know, all this stuff is happening because Biden's Biden's in power. And someone like me would joke about and saying stuff like that, too. But strategically, the issue is that, you know, it's always a hodgepodge of everything with this thing. And, and, you know, in politics, you blame the party that's in power and the president gets the brunt of all the successes and, you know, failures. But I think this thing in particular is caused by these specific things. So wages have increased with the cost of cost increasing everywhere. And that's resulted from the labor force participation rate being down, not only in the U.S., internationally, everywhere. Um, and then this is also added to the supply chain issues because you can't have tr- you have an issue finding truck drivers, boat drivers, all kinds of drivers that are in place that are going to move the stuff from one place to another. Anything dealing with transportation, seeing those issues at docks and you know, even in trucking stations and trains in railroads, all that stuff, everything is kind of like, you know, gone down with and then deliveries, deliverers and drivers have been that issue. Then you have the chip shortage thing where, you know, certain products don't have the certain chips that it needs because there's supply chain shortages on finding the material and making it. And with a lot of the different things going on in terms of trade with certain places, there's certain aspects that come with the chip and there's certain aspects that come with certain parts of things that you can't find right now which has been causing the whole issue everywhere and then obviously like when you add all that other stuff then you're spending trillions of dollars in these packages that are like you know to help mitigate the issues which i'm not saying that it happened only because of democrats republicans also passed bills whenever trump was in power that were like close to three trillion dollars and now biden has this one trillion dollar bill like we are spending a lot of money on top of everything else so it's like a conglomeration of a lot of things like prices of everything has gone up you go to taco bell you're spending three bucks more for food like you go stay anywhere at a hotel you're spending more money because the cost of labor has increased it's everywhere it's like throughout every single industry you will see price increases and i think that this is because of all of these conglomeration of things so I think what Biden is saying, like they should have said this stuff a long time ago, whenever Powell was bringing this stuff up, all these Republicans and primarily Democrats were all downplaying what Powell was saying. But this has been the issue for the past, like, you know, six, seven months since Biden has really been in office has been inflation. Yeah, And they argued it was transitory and that it would just pass over. But I think they're coming to the realization now that this is something that's probably going to be here to stay unless we take some dramatic actions to cause that. But things I can, let's say, I'm not 100% going to pin it on them, but the Democrats as a whole, you could say the unemployment issue and the resignations due to vaccine mandates. Those certainly aren't helping wage increases, which inevitably lead to inflation. Because like even having a minimum wage of $15 plus, that doesn't necessarily shrink the the uh, the wealth inequality, that gap. It just makes it so everyone has to pay more for everything. 
And it's going to raise, as I said, it's going to raise prices. And then you'd also move towards certain technologies. So even with housekeeping, we've thought about this. Like there's like this vacuum thing that's able to like clean up everything. It's like a iRobot. I think that's what it's called. But it's like things like that. Roomba. And then kiosks are going to be in place in terms of front desk stuff. So you see it like in Walmarts, they're shutting down as many aisles that they had before and they're switching to kiosks. They've thought about doing that stuff in restaurants and hotels. The problem is that the hospitality industry, you really need people. It's that personal touch. But I think all of that stuff becomes a conversation factor whenever you're overpaying for certain things. And it's not the fact that you're overpaying for people, but the revenues are still not there to be able to justify all these pay increases. So it's a whole conglomeration of everything. And I honestly think that like, you know, if this happened under Trump, some things would have been a little bit different just from the fact that, you know, like whenever Biden was asked about the stuff like four months ago, he was like, oh, this is the time for the labor, you know, like the businesses, they have to just pay more people money. That's just the way it is. Just the mindset of it would have been a little bit different. And I think that it's not it's not the fact that you're paying for all these people and all this, but you can't find people. And now when you have a vaccine mandate, no matter how much somebody like me is going to say that it's a, it's a policy that's a solution, it's you're going to make it harder to find people. Like I have people that work in my workplace that haven't been vaccinated like as an employer you're not supposed to ask people but you i i know of people and i only have so many workers in the hotel business like i think that that's the whole case is everywhere you're gonna have a lot of people that are not willing to take the vaccine you have aaron Rodgers, like the one of the biggest football players that wasn't willing to take the vaccine you have and that's in just sports and athletes and you know celebrities like and then you had kyrie irving i think he had his thing too but i think that then the whole context of things you have a lot of people that are not going to be willing to take the vaccine so if you're going to force businesses to not hire people that are not vaccinated you're going to end up being more it's going to be more expensive for um the business as a whole in general and plus you don't want to lose high quality workers it's not about paying people more it's about having the best people and i think that all of this stuff is just kind of happened because of the biden administration just that aspect the other aspect, like if it was Trump, that wouldn't have been a concern. All this other stuff would have still been there. But as an employer, you wouldn't have to be worried about, can I find people? Hmm. It, it's kind of, you mentioned sports. It's kind of funny. I was just at a GW basketball game and they required you to show them your vaccine cards to even sit in the audience. We still had to wear masks, but it's like you have professional athletes not being vaccinated. And then to even show up to a college basketball game, everyone has to be vaccinated. It's kind of strange how the rules are just different everywhere, depending on the business, industry, sports, whatnot. Um, but yeah, with that, you guys want to move on to our next story about Belarus and the EU? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Belarus-Poland border crisis escalates as Polish citizens are up in arms about Belarusian migrants entering the border. So with the Belarusian crisis, the whole issue has happened because there have been a lot of people that they accepted into their country from a lot of these places like Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan. And many of these people left because of inhospitable forests, um, the temperatures dropping in Belarus. And a lot of these people were concerned that all, for all these refugees that came into Belarus about why, you know, they're not being treated properly and et cetera, et cetera, because Belarus doesn't really have the funds and the finances to be able to help out all these migrants that they accepted. So um, Belarusian guards basically escorted a thousand migrants to the Poland border. Um, 
to that saying that we can't keep these people so they have to come to poland and the reason why the whole crisis is going on is because of the eu as well because the eu has a certain amount of people that they're allowing to come into certain countries so they these people were kind of like the migrants that weren't accepted because they didn't fit the quotas that were in place so they all kind of got stuck in belarus which i'm pretty sure is not an eu country but i'm not absolutely sure i can find out after i give my thing but their Polish defense minister, Marzwe Bruszak, it's a cool name. Um, he had 12, he was discussing how there's 12,000 soldiers that prepared to defend the Polish border to prevent all these migrants from coming in. And their EU commissioner, um, Ursula von der Leyen said the EU should now extend its sanctions to the Belarusian re regime for, you know, trying to throw all these thousands of migrants onto Poland's borders. And yeah, it's just a mess altogether. Um, you have all these people that are in Poland that are all freaked out because there's all these new people coming in and they don't want more migrants into their country because they already have their own economic hurdles and struggles going on right now. And they're worried about how this is going to, you know, lead to more of a, you know, social security net type state. It's going to cost them more and taxes are going to increase to help pay for these people and all this stuff. So it's like a mixed bag everywhere. The people that are from the EU side, they kind of want all this stuff kind of to fizzle out. They're even saying that this is this is like a new cry. This is a new refugee crisis that Belarus has thrown onto all the European countries. But it's one of those things that a lot of this stuff could have been prevented if the EU was more solid on what approach they wanted to take with all these immigrants that were coming in. And I mean, Belarus shouldn't have taken in all these immigrants if they can't, you know, afford to pay for their living accommodations and et cetera, et cetera. So guys, what are your thoughts on this story? Yeah, so the thing with Pratik, I, I would need to read up more on it because some of the stuff that you said fundamentally sounds wrong to me. Um, as far as Poland worrying about, you know, their social safety net and all this other stuff, I think just a more fundamental level than that, I just don't think they want migrants in their country. I don't think they want anyone from outside Poland coming into Poland. I think that's just the bottom line. And I mean, Belarus is a weird, weird country right now because uh, Lukashenko is essentially an authoritarian gangster who's backed by Putin. And I'm pretty sure falsified the elections in his own country uh, last year. That was a big issue. There were all these protests. There were all these videos of it. But there were other things going on. So we just all sort of forgot about it because let's be real. People aren't, you know, lying up <laughs> awake at night thinking about Belarus. However, you are if you're in Poland. So when a bunch of these migrants, to your point, came came to Belarus and Belarus is funneling him into Poland. I mean, dude, it's it's so awkward because on the one hand, it's like, let's say you're a migrant, you're you're put in this precarious position. Let's say you want to go to not not just like Poland or Lithuania, which kind of border Belarus, but also uh, let's say you want to go to Germany because that is actually somewhere that, you know, has openly said in the past under Merkel, hey, we'll we'll take in refugees, you know, we'll step up, we'll you know, we'll we'll welcome people to our country. And sure, there there have been some reported issues with that, but overall, Germany has been been pretty good about the whole situation. Um, so part of it, I think, is the Polish government just not trusting that. Hey, you know, are, we're either going to have border security and integrity, or we're not. And of course, what you were saying around the uh, the EU and the European Commission being on Poland's side, um, not very surprising. But the the real issue that they have to tiptoe around here. I mean, it hurts me to say that, you know, people do not care about 2,000 refugees. They just don't. It's not a big deal. 
But what is a big deal is the fact that Belarus is a puppet state backed by Putin and Russia, and any sort of armed conflict between Poland and Belarus just invites getting Russia involved in the conflict. And the EU is already heavily conflicted with Russia on many other issues. I mean, there's the whole gas thing where there's tension there. You know, Russia, you know, uh, sort of surging troops near the... I forget which part of uh, Ukraine at this point, since I, I'm not sure where the international community is settled on the whole Crimean issue, uh, where Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine. And there was a war there, of course, and Obama was caught sleeping on that. So... I don't know. It's uh, it's not a good situation, but there are bigger things at play here. And just unfortunately, this is one of those things that, you know, we'll have to just see how it develops. But all signs point to this <laughs> not going well for anyone. I think the biggest issue when it comes to this stuff is like the EU has a lot of benefits, right? The EU provides a lot of things and they're good for the economy. They're good for the entire European, you know, marketplace. But the one issue that always exists when it comes to these these European countries, if they're a part of the EU, is autonomy. So obviously you kind of give away your autonomy because you're joining the European Union and that's part of the whole thing and you get all these benefits and perks from joining the EU. That's why most countries join the EU. Belarus is not a member of the European Union, which is why this is a whole big crisis in the first place. Because even with the EU, they have certain standards in place where they're trying to make sure that they're have vetted to some extent the people that are entering who are into each other each country while the people that are in belarus they haven't gone through the whole vetting process so they don't even know who are all these people that are entering which is why a lot of these nationalists and right-wing groups in poland are all upset but i think it's the whole you know concept of everything is that if if you're a polish citizen you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be mixed about the whole situation. You're going to have a lot of people that are like pro-Brexit type Polish people. Where, yeah, sure, all these economic benefits are in place that is going to make Poland a stronger country in the end of the day by being a member of the European Union. But you as a country have no, like, you know, authority over really who enters your borders. Like, the European Union is on Poland's side in this situation. So, like, you know, these right-wing groups are you're the winning party in this whole situation however this is an issue that it that exists in the european union as a whole and this is why a lot of these people that are in these countries are all upset the whole brexit movement was caused by a lot of these immigrants coming into england and a lot of these people were refugees some of them came from certain countries that had you know conflicts and crises and dictatorships and stuff and it's good that there's refugees that you're helping out but the problem is someone is going to be paying for all these refugees that enter your country and most of that stuff is paid for by you know the other citizens in the country and that's just the cost of you know having immigration and having these kinds of refugee crisis type things so i just wanted to bring that up i'm not saying i'm not advocating for any side i'm just saying that that is a con of the entire situation and that's something that you notice whenever you notice a lot of these eu crises and a lot of these immigration problems that are going on and that's the whole argument to why all these nationalists have like marched on poland's capital complaining about what's going on and it's not that the polish government is like on is not on their side really they also have twelve thousand people manning their border preventing anybody from coming in and they even heard fire shots and things like that that were on the border too so i mean it's one of those things that they're both on the right same side but the far right 
in the end, in the end of the day has this argument about borders and i mean we're it depends on how you stand on the issue but depending on how you stand you're going to have a strong opinion one way or another me as an american i like the european union so this doesn't concern me but if i was a polish citizen i have some right to be upset because this is an issue that happens throughout europe and this is why a lot of germany has been having all these issues and france has been having issues for the last decade or so has been the whole immigration situation you are an american but you can also sympathize with them because in america we have the same kinds of issues on our southern border and we have the same kinds of right-leaning side that says no one's allowed in and the other side will say oh we should let all these migrants in so it's not the exact same scenario but we do battle this constantly so like in in america would you just want these people to waltz into your country probably not right but since it's out there in the eu it's easier to say oh they should manage it they should figure out a way for these migrants to access the country but i i think the the main point you had was like sovereignty autonomy a lot of these countries in the eu struggle with that because they don't have that sovereignty over their own nation who's allowed to come in who's not allowed to come in and that's really important for any kind of national pride for these people so i understand both sides like you said i don't have a defend definitive opinion either um and you guys said more than i could possibly say on the subject uh so. and, and what, I, what else i would add before nick's talks is that when with this whole situation like the thing is that they gave away this autonomy that's the end of the day story right no one forced any of these countries to join the european union they joined this European Union after analyzing the cost and benefits of them joining the European Union. And for Poland and a lot of these other, you know, EU member states, they made the decision to join based on the economic benefits that they would receive by joining the union. And, you know, it makes it easier for trade. You have the same euro currency. There's a lot of benefits and perks that comes from this because, you know, you as a whole with all these other sum of units is going to be stronger for the European nation. But at the same time, this is a con. And if you're a European Union, if you're if you're a citizen of any of these countries, you're going to have an opinion one way or another. But the reason I'm bringing that up is that we debate about autonomy. These people that are there, these far right people, they debate about autonomy all the time, but they do have an argument. The problem is that, you know, if I was Poland, there's a lot more cost of me leaving the European Union than me joining the European Union because the benefits far outweigh the costs and all You say that, grounds. but look at Brexit with England. I mean, like, I think part of the balance is the EU has to recognize that if member states start leaving, the EU breaks apart. It's worse yeah. off for everyone. So they kind of have to listen to these arguments, even if they don't want to, even if they're not obligated to. In some sense, if they want to keep that unification together, like moving forward to the future, they have to listen to the argument and be somewhat sympathetic and maybe have some leeway for them. Well, that guys, that's not the issue here. The EU is on the side of Poland in this. No one wants yeah. these refugees to be coming into Poland. The EU doesn't want it. The Polish don't want it. No one wants it. The issue is that Belarus is forcing the refugees to come in because Minsk in Belarus, which is the capital, has accepted these refugees to be able to fly into their country from the Middle East in the first place. So all of this is really manufactured by Belarus. And the question here is, what do you do? What looks good? What looks bad? You can't go ahead and let thousands of people just starve to death on your border because of, you know, some, you know, you want to put up a front with Belarus and, you know, rah, 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 beat your chest about the whole thing. I mean, it is a humanitarian crisis. Um, but to say that this fundamentally is something like a Brexit 
is just not accurate in any way because Poland and the EU are both on the same side here, which is these yeah. refugees should not be coming to this country. However, what do we do with this bad situation we've been put in? That's a little bit of the tension. And I, and I get that that was some of the tension back in the day with the immigration stuff. But fundamentally, the EU back in the day, 2015, 2016, was saying, yes, we should be taking in these Syrian refugees. And then some of the countries were saying, no, we don't really want to take them. And that was an issue. But in this case, both the EU and Poland are saying we should not have these refugees. And unfortunately, they're just caught in this crossfire right now. So Yeah, yeah. and uh, we're, not, we're not saying this is like Brexit. I'm just saying that this is, a, this is the argument that the far right is marching on. The people that are marching, they're marching about that. Now, the Polish people, the Polish government and the EU are basically agreeing with everything that they're saying. But they don't agree with the concept of what they're trying to argue about, you know, the autonomy part. And the whole issue even then is the fact that the EU makes a lot of these mandates. They made the Syrian mandate in the past. And people, a lot of these people don't forget about that kind of stuff. And the issue that they have is that they didn't elect these people. These people that are making these decisions are you elect a, your EU commission president and then that EU commission president appoints everybody else. It's like the president of the United States or how a lot of executive bodies work. But that's the whole issue that these far right people have. And I'm just saying that, you know, even though like they have their pros and cons to their argument, this situation, they're in agreement with the government. And it's like they're just kind of complaining for no reason. But this is the whole reason why there's an issue going on within their country as well. You're so, fair. But they're no, kind of going to bring it up. That's fair, Pratik. I mean, Poland did pass some uh, judicial reforms. Uh, to their legal system last year. And that was a whole issue, or it was either one year or two years ago, where the EU was sort of like, hey, this fundamentally goes against what we said was okay across all of our member states. And Poland was like, well, we have sovereignty, so you guys should just step off, you know, stop putting your nose in our business. Tyler, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I mean, but they are being strong-armed by Belarus in that they do provide them with natural gas, energy, oil, what have you. So what do they do in this situation? It's either let these immigrants die or let them into the EU, into Poland, right? Like, what is the alternative? Because Belarus yeah, is obviously it, not yeah. going to take... Yeah. So, like, what what would... Like, if we had to hypothesize some kind of theoretical solution, if you're the EU right now, you're Poland, what do you do? Well, Poland would probably have to strong arm to say, hey, look, we don't want these refugees here. If we are going to take them in, then... EU, you need to commit, other member states need to commit to taking some of these migrants because we're not going to let them just sit around in Poland. And so you're probably going to have states like Germany stepping up to say, all right, we'll take some of them. And that's ultimately how it'll probably play out. Yeah, the whole argument that I was just making, that's what's going to pan out in the end of the day because... I mean, Pol it's just going to be a bad look for Poland. Poland doesn't want all these people dying on their borders. Like, they're going to want that some other country, other member country, you know, takes in some of the slack. And most of these countries are not going to be willing to do that. Like, Germany's a little bit different, but Angela Merkel is no longer in power. So we'll see how that goes. And, you know, with Lithuania and these other countries, they have the same issue that Poland does. They don't want all these random people coming in from Belarus. And the old issue is not that they're refugees or that they're coming, you know, that they're, you know, they're fighting some struggle. The issue in the end of the day is they're coming in from Belarus. So Belarus is still that dictatorship country where they have a lot of sketchy stuff going on in that country. So they don't want any national security threats inside their country because none of these people that are in Belarus are properly vetted to the same problem process is the eu all right let's so. close the books on this story we spent a lot of time on it but i would want to correct one more critique 
thing that Pratik okay. said, which is Angela yeah, let's Merkel give Nick the is, final still, statement. is still the chancellor of Germany okay. for the next month or so. They're planning on a replacement in December. So it's not like she's fully out just yet, okay? She had her final glam shot at the uh, climate conference. So, you know, she'll go down in the history books for that. But unfortunately, poor Angela is going to be retiring to the countryside <laughs> like my, uh, you know, cat growing up who just went to go live on some farm and totally did not uh, die. <laughs> yeah, so with that, moving on to the domestic front, we're going to be talking about broadband internet access availability being available everywhere and how it was introduced in the $1.2 trillion infrastructure spending package. It includes $65 billion for broadband access to improve internet speeds for rural areas, low-income families, and tribal communities. Originally, it was proposed to be a $100 billion plan. It got cut down to $65 billion, and most of the money is going to be available through state grants. So what do you guys think about this? I know me and Pratik have some uh, issues on whether we believe in net neutrality, whether it should be left up to these private countries alone, whether these low-income rural rural areas are even going to be able to compete in the digital era, the digital age, given their lack of infrastructure in those areas. Uh, So what do you guys think? Haven't we already given these... ISP companies a ton of money to build out capabilities, improve service, and the rest of it, and they just kind of sit on it. We don't really see any huge returns. Our internet speeds are some of the slowest in the developed world, and they're not exactly getting better. Sure, some some companies like Verizon and others are starting to say, "Oh, you know, we'll we'll you know build out fiber. We'll give you you know one gig speed, and then you go ahead and buy the service, and it's never a gig." it's never on that level, even though that's what it's advertised as. So I don't know why we keep giving these people more money without uh, more strings attached. I feel like the government at some point has to get a little bit more involved to hold these people to account because they keep taking our money and they're just not spending it as well as they should be. Before Pratik goes, I know he's going to jump on about the, the private industry, but I just have to say in the world rankings for internet speed, the U.S. is ranked number 15. You got the number one, UAE, South Korea, Norway, Qatar, China, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Cyprus, Bulgaria, Switzerland, Australia, Luxembourg, Croatia, Denmark, all ahead of the U.S. So you can argue all you want that we have these private institutions and therefore they'll be able to innovate and increase speeds on their own. But they haven't done that and it hasn't happened for a very long time. The U.S. has never been at the top of the digital infrastructure area. Like they've never had the top speeds and we're supposedly one of the best countries in the world, freest countries in the world. So why is that even allowed when we're certainly in an age where the internet is almost everything? How many people now work remote? Like if you're not able to access the internet and let's say you're trying to compete with other people for jobs, you're cutting yourself at the shins. Like you're not gonna be able to have that American dream, the American freedom of being able to like compete for those high level jobs, no matter where you are, or where you live. And that's why personally, I think it's more of a utility uh, than someone like Pratik may argue, but Pratik, lay it Okay, out. so let, this first thing that I wanna talk about is that most, most, country, most places in the US have, you know, a certain amount of internet providers that are able to be offered. Much of that stuff is because of the government itself. So the government usually, you know, establishes contracts for certain countries to be provide uh, companies, not countries, to be providing internet. So, you know, in terms of like, you know, our area, we might have Comcast, the Comcast, Time Warner Cable, they're all one company now. At one point, they all used to be separate different entities. You used to have Charter, you used to have Comcast, you used to have Time Warner Cable, and a lot of these companies would compete. But the whole issue that happened 
happened was all of these companies became one country, one company. So all of this became Spectrum. Then you have some other options that are available out there, but there's not many options left. And the reason for all that stuff is the government itself. Because before, there used to be a lot more options in place. But then the government decided that they had some, you know, push to trying to get more people to have access to the internet. And what happened because of that is you have less companies nowadays providing access to the internet. So this has made it so there's less opportunity for these companies to innovate or less incentive, shouldn't say opportunity, less incentive for this company to innovate. And because you don't have that many options available to you in terms of the internet, that's what's caused a lot of problems. The bad thing is that you have phone providers now like Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile that have internet that they provide that to some extent is even faster speeds than the actual internet providers that you would pay for in the past. And now, you know, it's just Comcast spectrum. So what I would say with this whole thing is that with broadband coming out, all that's going to do is it's going to make the situation even worse because now with broadband coming out and, you know, like the government financing this whole broadband thing everywhere, which in my opinion, I agree with Tyler, internet should be accessible to everybody. It shouldn't be that, you know, you're spending this much money and you're getting crappy internet and many people can't afford it. I get it. In many places, you don't even have access, but that is there and that is an issue. But now you having the Biden administration coming in to try to provide broadband broadband everywhere the problem is going to be that this broadband has literally no incentive to improve so whatever this broadband speed is that's going to be the speed it's never going to get better than that it's going to be like the base level broadband internet so the whole issue that you're talking about how luxembourg and a lot of these places have better internet than us and obviously those places have less people less people to deliver the internet to and you know it's more confined in a smaller territory there's more options here in america our country is so big that there's certain rural areas that are not even allowed access or provided access to the internet because it just doesn't reach there and on face value we all agree that internet is good the problem is that if you allow broadband access everywhere all it's gonna do is literally keep us frozen to whatever the internet level is right now so the whole issue with net neutrality that whole issue is what caused a lot of this mess in the first place because a lot of these places a lot of these states adopted this net neutrality message and a lot of these a lot of these states also adopted that the government needs to have some control over internet and have control over cable and all this stuff and that's what's kind of frozen us to having only like one or two cable cable and t and like internet providers now now cable is not an issue because there's so many tv options that you have but internet is still in the same problem that it was you know in 10 15 years ago and that's because of the government themselves so this is a whole issue where i don't really know the answer but i feel like the government if the broadband thing is the solution they're all also the problem that made us have to find a solution in the first place because with broadband all it's going to do is freeze whatever the situation is with internet speed so if internet speed is very slow right now that's what's going to exist for a long period of time with broadband but not only in the places that exist already it's going to be like that everywhere and the problem is that whenever people have to rely on personal hotspots to receive internet because verizon and at&t have more access in places than you know comcast spectrum and a lot of the internet will be under broadband it's a problem as a whole so that's my statement so y'all can you know do your thing <laughs> 
Well, I, look, I, I, I respect your opinion. I would just say there's certain underserviced areas that would never get the attention of these companies, given that they're not going to be super profitable because they're too out there, too rural. But I don't think that means they shouldn't have access to Internet. And they're, they're saying uh, an unserved location is one that currently is less than 25 megabytes of downstream like and three megabytes three megabytes of upstream access i think that should be the bare minimum to get pretty much anything done on the internet i agree with you you don't want like to create a monopoly what you're saying essentially is that they the government created a monopoly by how did they do that exactly because they decided to have certain partnerships in place where they are only allowing a certain amount of tv and cable providers to be in place in the first place Okay, I, I don't know enough about that, but I guess I would fundamentally disagree. A large part of the problem is there's a lack of competition. But I also think that has to do with the infrastructure. Like, it takes an incredible amount of capital to build out these huge wireless networks. And the government, I'm sure they're giving them some funding, but, like, I don't... You're right, it's a tricky situation. I'm not sure they're incentivized to increase the speed too much either way. And we've been at a stalemate for a long time with internet speeds in the United States. Competitively, globally, we're just becoming less and less competitive in that department. I'm not quite sure what to do about it. And but Pew Research does say this. Rural areas are more wide today than they were in the past. Current infrastructure does not support consistently dependable broadband access in many rural areas. And the whole issue with that, too, is what with what you're saying, Tyler, is that a lot of these companies, whenever there was more, more competition, the government wanted to put more regulations and red tape in place dealing with the internet because the internet was brand new. They wanted to regulate certain content and make sure that it was accessible at the same speed as some other content. And this is what led the government to get involved in the whole space in the first place. Now, you do have Roadrunner and high speed and that kind of stuff, and that stuff's a little bit different, but... It's the whole concept of the big old stations that are in place that will be providing this internet at a massive scale. And because they're not able to provide access to everybody, they were kind of kicked out of the game by the government themselves. So the whole issue, I get it. You do. I mean, my whole dream would be that everyone has access to Wi-Fi everywhere. Like I actually had a, I had a paper about this because you need to have access to Wi-Fi. You need to have access to internet because without the internet, people are going to be stuck in the same place that they were before. And the internet provides so many options and so much ability for people to improve their life standards and improve what's going on in their lives. I get it. But the fact is that if you have broadband, the problem is that these cable companies that you do have or these internet companies that are in place that are few and far between, but the ones that are there, well, 20, 30 years down the road, a lot of these internet software and their technology is going to become better. There's going to be better than it was before. I mean, look at Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile. They're all competing between 5G, cell phone, internet providing services, right? That's only going to become better in the next 20 years because the fact where you got from 1G to 5G has been transformational in like a short period of time. So my point is that long-term thinking, you don't want America to be stuck in the same place it is with internet. And that's what's going to potentially happen with broadband. I'm not saying that you not having broadband is a solution because then you're still going to have a lot of rural areas that don't have access to the internet. But you having this broadband thing in place is not going to make it any better either because 20, 30 years down the road, you're going to have crappier internet for the u.s and some country like luxembourg is going to be 50 times better than the u.s on the internet. and look 
I understand the Luxembourg, small and whatever, but you also have, like, China way up there, you know? It's not just we're competing with these small nations, which we are, like Korea, but it's also, like, the bigger nations. So I think we need to stay competitive. How we go about that, I'm not quite sure. But and on, on a little slightly separate note, as far as the Internet being utility, don't you think um, certain rights given to citizens should be pushed through the government? Like, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, like... That kind of stuff, I feel like, should be integrated into the internet, and I'm not sure private companies are very good at regulating that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not like the government is good at it either. No, I but mean, they at the least provide argument. the rights and freedoms, and you have a defense against, let's say, it, being banned or whatever. It depends. It depends. You look at censorship anywhere. Like, you mentioned China. They're, they have a better internet speed than we do, but it's all controlled by the government. They control what sites you can go on, where you can go, what you can do, et cetera, et cetera. And when you get into net neutrality, that's the whole concept why these Republicans are always cribbing about, you know, having net neutrality. It's not, I'm not saying that the Republicans are right on net neutrality, and I'm not saying they're wrong on net neutrality. I'm just saying that's the whole conversation in place in the first place is if you censor stuff, that's going to be a con, that's going to happen because of net neutrality. And if you have certain domains in place that are going to make it slower from some access to some sites to access than others, well, the government is going to do the same thing. There's going to be some sites that the people are not going to be have able to have access to. Some of those sites, we don't want people to have access to because, you know, there's certain things that are inappropriate for certain ages. And you get what I'm saying when I'm talking about inappropriate with certain ages and adult content, etc. There's some things like that that is an issue that, you know, the government battles on with every day. And a lot of places like the UK and in China, and both two completely different types of governments, UK being more democratic and China being a communist country, they're both having the same issues because the UK wants to ban certain sites from being in place because the government has a higher access towards the internet. And China does the same thing, but, but they don't have our constitution. That, that would be my argument. Doesn't I mean all these countries have like some constitution? England doesn't under common law and under Magna Carta and what they have going on. But yeah, they don't Germany has the same problem. There are hate speech laws in the UK. That's not how America operates. No, but UK still has freedom of speech though. Their freedom of speech is like analyzed in a different way from our freedom of speech. But our freedom of speech was literally created based on their freedom no, of no, speech. They don't have they have they have hate speech laws. That's not freedom of speech, at least as far as I understand. Mm, but it's still freedom of speech. It's just a content subsidiary. Of freedom of speech. It's freedom of speech the, that's limited, it so it's not way. freedom of speech. Like, I don't... You have to look at it this way. Our concept of freedom of speech in the Constitution was based around what UK provided in their Constitution, which didn't exist under common law. But their common law edicts is how we have our Constitution in place today. It's all based off of that. It's my built on that, but that, it's not the same thing. Yeah, but my point is that all of these countries that are democratic, whether it's Germany, India, like england or uk technically and a lot of these countries they all have certain policies in place that um do have some censorship laws they are not allowed to access certain websites but it's all they all have the same democratic constitution most of these countries modeled themselves off the u.s constitution like germany's republic that they have now is based off what the u.s set india same thing is based off a conglomeration of what the u.s and england had like i mean all of these countries that are there they have but issues it, with censorship and net neutrality and but again my my opinion would be the one of the reasons america is one of the greatest countries in the world is for the very fact that unlike any other country we really do have freedom of speech but i, I think nick has <laughs> something he's trying to jump in here i don't want to all right what's up so nick <laughs> look i don't have anything here i think um you know i was uh, for a second going to cite some gao 
study that came out in July of 2021 basically saying that the FCC has the authority to raise the limits, the minimum standards uh, for the speeds that Tyler mentioned, which is 25 uh, down, megabytes per second download um, and 25, or, or sorry, three upload. And I don't know, man. Yeah, sure, they could raise that. It would be good for small businesses. It would be good for agricultural operations. It would be good for a whole host of folks. But you know what? They'd have to pay a little bit more, and then you just turn into the whole energy um, issue. But the reason why I will not cite that critique, while I will not use that as a point of argument with you, is because no one cares about the GAO. Congress says, hey, GAO, you want to go look into this thing? And GAO is like, sure, we've got all this talented staff. Let's go take a look. Let's see what's going on. So they produce this report. And then Congress goes, great. Who cares, you nerds? <laughs> We're going to ignore this until there's a hearing on something. And then people get to cherry pick. Oh, look, GAO investigated this and they found X and you're saying Y. Therefore, you're wrong. And we have to vote in favor or against this bill. And that is the only reason, the only time when they ever care about what GAO or the OIG ever has to say. I like it. No, and again, I'm not I'm not downplaying what you're saying, Tyler. I'm just saying that the whole idea behind this stuff is is a problematic situation altogether. Because I wish there was more competition, but the competition got eliminated because the government decided to set up duopolies and triopolies to make sure that some some corporations that are not able to fit all their regulatory standards are not able to be able to be cable companies. So they all combined together to become two or three major cable companies. And now we're fighting about how expensive it is to have internet and how expensive it is to have cable. But yeah. good thing cable has other alternatives. Now we don't have to worry about cable anymore. Yep. But I think that's the whole issue there. And I agree. Back back then, I would say, honestly, from the point we're at, I, I'd still agree we need some kind of net neutrality. But look, I don't think we're going to get past that point <laughs> right now. So I think we should move on to our next topic, our last topic. So, Nick, you want to break it down? Of course. So a favorite of mine, math, is uh, California tries to change math. So the idea is to replace calculus with statistics and other math courses that may be more applicable and appropriate for students where under California's current system, and I'm quoting here, uh, students who are not placed in accelerated courses by middle school may never have the opportunity to take calculus. And according to data from the Department of Education, calculus is not even offered in most schools that serve large numbers of black and Latino students. So they're turning the offering of mathematics into a racial justice and racial equity issue, trying to say, hey, if you're going to go ahead and teach these courses, you know, we can't just have white and Asian students in them. You need to have black and Latino students appear as well. And, you know, fundamentally, I think that's coming from, you know, good intent, which is, hey, we want black and Hispanic students to do better in math. And that's good. But I think the way they're going about this is, is pretty problematic. I don't think you should detrack, which essentially means, you know how in school you start, you know, your algebra one, you go to geometry, you go to algebra two or whatever, and you go up to pre-calc and calculus, right? That's the typical sort of track in the United States. Some people switch geometry and algebra and the order in which you do them, but that's the basic track. Um, but I don't know, man, fundamentally... I don't see how taking away access to classes helps this in any way. If anything, I feel like it's going to hurt students and not be good. Now, it's a totally different argument, although on the other hand around, is calculus the right course that we should really be upholding to say, 
We need, like, this is the pinnacle of your high school career. You need to take a calculus class. Otherwise, you will be mopping the floor. You will be washing dishes. You will, you know, cannot go anywhere in life without calculus. I have not used calculus a single day in my life. I don't remember any of it, um, but it's only now where it's like, oh, well, I'm thinking about grad school, and grad school is like, well, you need to take a calculus class. It's like, oh, dang, if only I'd taken one back in the day. If only I remembered what had gone, what I'd gone through in high school. Um, but I don't know. The broader context here before I turn it over to you guys is just the United States is slowly lagging behind other countries. We're being outpaced. For example, there are all these stereotypes that people in India, China, even the UK and these European countries are doing better than us at math. And that's what I can't stand. India, I could understand. China, sure thing. But anyone in Europe who thinks they're better than us, I will not stand for that. We're America. We're better than those Europeans. We broke away in the first place. They go, who do they think they are? We put a man on the moon. What did they put a snail on a piece of bread and thought that that was the most revolutionary idea they've ever had? France is a joke. The UK, eh, whatever. You know, we've got our common law history that Pratik just laid out, but I could do without it. You know, Germany, don't even get me started. You know, we beat them uh, back to back World War II champions. Um, and you know, the, just those Germans. The Italians, tomatoes aren't even from Italy. They took that from the Americas, okay? Their whole pasta tradition and their pizzas, that comes from us, all right? Step off, Italy. But in any case, I do think that they're going about this the wrong way, but I want to open up to you guys. Pratik and Tyler, how do you feel about California trying to reinvent the way it teaches mathematics by de-emphasizing calculus and trying to put students taking away accelerated programs, not recognizing the fact that some kids are just better than others at math. I was always a dummy at math. I don't mind being put in the slower class because frankly, it's better for me. Um, but anyway, what do you guys think about it? Right move, wrong move. How would you do it differently? Before you answer, Tyler, um, is, are tomatoes really from Italy or not from Italy? They're from nope. the Americas. That's where they yep. came from. Man. In like the 1500s or something, they came Dude, over. Dude, Italians a lie. It's not about who has them; it's about who uses them best, and that's all I have to say <laughs> on that issue. But look, fundamentally, a meritocracy is not ideal. Look, some people are going to be better than others at some things, and this is just one area of academia. You you have you have plenty of subjects that you can be in accelerated courses in. Maybe you're bad at math, but you're excellent at history, or you're great at English. Like those things happen all the time. I think it's kind of a disaster that we're going to slow down the students that are excelling just to accommodate for the lowest common denominator. And I just don't think that's how academia should be set up. It makes no sense to put a they, – they say it in this article. It's like the framework rejects the idea of natural or innate giftedness among children. You, everything's not a social construct. Sure, many things are, but cer certainly things like being good at math, like – Maybe they're culturally developed at, to some degree, but some people are just going to function better in a math class than others are, and they shouldn't be punished for that. And if we want our country to excel in many different facets, if we want Americans to excel, then some of them are going to outpace the, the slower students, and that's not a bad thing. Like, you don't have to be good at everything, and I think that brings it back to Nick's point. It's like, calculus, the pinnacle of academic success, maybe in mathematics it is, but certainly not in totality of academia. 
No, I never, I never understood calculus stuff. It's complicating. I feel like that stuff's meant for elite people, and I'm brown. I'm supposed to be one of those people that's supposed to be good <laughs> at calculus. So I think that's the issue. Is that what I was alluding to? Is that there's all these social constructs that Z people are trying to create. There's not going to be every Indian person is not going to be the same as every other Indian person. Some Indian people like me are interested in politics. There's some other Indian people that don't know anything about politics. I even talked to one person that didn't know who the governor of North Carolina was and they've been living in North Carolina forever I mean like you know basic stuff so I think that that's the thing and when it comes to these educational stuff is if you try to put it into like a social construct and try to mitigate it by race and try to create social equity that's not the right way to go about it because some people are better than others at certain things like I mean even in their whole argument right this whole racial construct thing like african-american people are the best athletes that's a fact no one's ever gonna deny that but the fact is that all right you're not gonna have like all these new you're not gonna have all these asian people come in that oh we need a chance to be on this basketball team because we need to represent like that doesn't happen because everyone is good at something right and it's not because of race you're just better at certain things. For now, are you trying to say you... that Asian Americans aren't good at basketball? What's the... Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's right. my no, point. Getting, getting <laughs> away from that. But I think fundamentally, like, this is... And I want to let you guys talk, too, of course. But this is my segment here. I'm running the show. Go for and it. fundamentally, I think this is the opposite of how you should approach that. You can certainly recognize and say, you know what? Um, Asian Americans and white Americans are being placed in these advanced math courses, accelerated math courses in California schools. Why are black students not given the same opportunities to place in those courses? Why are we seeing a like totally disparate number of this? And why is it that calculus isn't even being offered in most schools that serve large numbers of black and Latino students? And I think you should look at that and instinctively go, hey, there is an issue here. It seems as though black and Latino students are getting worse quality mathematics education. How do we address this? Well, I think you would want to put more resources into those schools so that the level of attainment goes up and so that those students who you know, do not have access to calculus, for example, there could be incredibly brilliant mathematicians potentially who, if they had just been given a chance to take one of those courses, could then get into one of California's very prestigious colleges and gone on to do incredibly well in academia, but you're not giving them the opportunity. And so what I think you need to do is invest more money and more teaching and more education into those schools and try to make math more of a priority, not de-emphasize it in the schools where students are already doing okay. I think you want to focus on where students need more resources. Well, if you're asking them to increase funding for schools, you're you're fighting a losing battle. Yeah, unfortunately, the whole that's reason true. that yeah. certain schools have less money is because they're in lower class areas, and lower class areas they can't fund the state or fund but, the county. But you can do things like things. in New York, for example, where they took it away from property taxes for individual boroughs of the city. And what they did in New York City's education was they said, "Okay, we're actually going to pull together all of the taxes from all of the boroughs." into a central fund and distribute it equally to all of the different schools in our area. I think that's ultimately how you have to do it, because to your point, then how do you ever get away from some schools just not having as many resources as others? Okay, well, I, and then I, I'm going to 
just to play devil's advocate here, I'm currently in an area where the school is very good and I don't want our level decreasing because there needs to be funding to other schools. And this is, this is just human nature. It's like, I, I want the best for me, no matter what, at all costs. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to. If I want to, if I live in a higher class area and we're paying more taxes, I'm going to feel justified in saying we should have the best schools. That's fair. That's fair. And, and like, I'm parent, not saying it's right or wrong. No, and I'm just saying that that's parent, the argument. To that, that parent, you can't really argue with them. But if this is fundamentally what you're trying to solve for, then, you know, I would say to that parent, uh, sucks for you. We're a bunch of school board bureaucrats yeah. and your opinion doesn't matter. Get out of here. And, Go and move. they would say, they would say, sure, the school funding is an issue, but also there are culture of, uh, cultural effects that would impact this. And if that if they're not going to try to fix the culture first, then it's not going to do enough to justify me paying for that. Well, Pratik, let me ask you this. Um, how How is mathematics? You said you were never great at math. And well, I never <laughs> I said I was never you, great at math. You, you were I like, I'm a brown person. I should be good at this. But I mean, how is it emphasized in your family growing up? I think, I mean, in terms of whatever you do, like if you're like my family's in the hotel business, so we're always had a business type background. So it's kind of like my family just kind of assumed that I wasn't going to be that great at math because I wasn't good at some math courses. So that's just part of how it is. But the thing is that whenever you have to do certain something in a certain profession, so if you are in the hotel business or if you are in the restaurant business or something dealing with an actual business, you will learn math. But you don't need to learn the same level of math that these people are really teaching. Like, when is calculus really going to come in handy? Like, sure, stats might come in handy, but when is that even going to come in handy? You just kind of learn this stuff. You don't have to go to a class and sit there for like six months in to learn how to use how to do something. You will learn it naturally because that's just how you do it. Like, I think when it comes to some things, when it comes to things like calculus, you don't need to learn calculus. In my opinion, you don't need to know calculus to be able to do anything in life because when, who are the people that are really using calculus? Calculus professors. Not really like any of the other professions are like, wow, we need to learn calculus. Maybe some analysts and stuff that are analyzing some like statistics well, math, stuff. math, engineering, physics. There are certain yeah. areas where you need calculus. Certain it's just things. not something that most people are going to need. I, think. So I was going to say, dude, with so much of an emphasis on STEM education being a gateway to a better life and especially more of a push for people to attend institutions of higher learning, it is incredible to me that they would de-emphasize calculus because critique i fully agree with you i frankly yeah. it's not helpful for most people however if you're trying to set someone up on an academic track to be an engineer a scientist a high-paying job in a stem field i think you do need it i have a proposal so what i would say is that when it comes to this stuff have students determine what they want to do in their lives right so not all education should be the same for everybody some people like obviously whenever you go into high school and stuff you're going to take certain classes but there's also certain required classes so if someone wants to learn about psychology and stuff they'll take ap psychology but everyone doesn't have to take ap psychology or honor psychology like they are making that decision to take that psychology class because they want to do something in psychology like i took anatomy i just needed to take a science but if i really wanted to go dive into science i could have taken ap bio or ap chemistry but my point is that all of that stuff you have an option but where you don't have an option is math you have an option in english 
like you can take you know English for honors, you can take AP English, and you can take English for, or like regular English for. And in the end of the day, they're all gonna teach you the same thing. You just have that other title to it. Like, oh, I took AP English, so my teacher graded my essays to a stronger extent. I mean, all that stuff, it doesn't really change. Like with history type courses, so all your history options, whether you take AP government, AP psych, like I don't know how psych makes it into history, well, but it they does have somehow. AP it's math classes. Social sciences. They have yeah, higher they level do. math classes. They do, they do. But my point is that with those courses, you have less options when it comes to math. And my argument would be that you need to source it around what your profession is going to be. In many of these other democratic countries, including India, they make it so that you decide at a younger age what kind of profession you want to go into. So then that determines what's going to be your course load and what courses you take in high school that's going to set you up for college and set you up for your profession. Where America lacks behind is that everyone has to take all the same courses to some extent. Whether in what order they take it, that doesn't matter. But there's a certain level of required courses. Calculus is not a required course, but a lot of those other courses are required. So you have to go through that algebra two, geometry and all this stuff. Like, when am I going to use geometry either? But look, if I'm having in construction a or if I'm an architect? Oh, having a well-rounded education is a good thing. I think having a liberal arts education is a good thing or can be a good thing. There should be an option for people that want to be career specific. You go to one of those magnet schools or whatever. Like, there are options to do. Yeah, there are some options to do that. I don't know if that's specifically the answer for me. And I know Nick wants to jump in. And I, what I predict will happen over the next 10 years or so is given the internet and the amount of information available on it, I think academia is going to be largely institutionalized on the internet. And I think you're going to have the option to take whatever kind of lessons you want from teachers around the world. And you'll get the best of what you need and what you want. I don't know how the class structures are going to work, but I think this issue is going to kind of solve itself over time. Um, as we become more digitized and you just have more options. Like there are free universities online that are more than happy to teach you calculus. And I understand that not everyone can teach themselves for sure. But I think we're going to learn over time that given our breadth of options online, we can utilize them in schools and have the appropriate level of education for, for each student. And like you said, Pratik, not everyone has to be educated at the same level, especially depending on what they want to do with their career. Uh, but Nick, go ahead. I was going to say, I disagree with you, Pratik. I think that it's never going to take hold in this country that someone has to decide what they want to be from an early age, um, more so in the future. I could see it in the past when, frankly, the outlook on life was <laughs> a little bit more bleak. But fundamentally, like the American idea is that you can make a future for yourself that is entirely your own. If you were born, you could have a rags to riches story. You will have opportunity in this country. And you don't have to choose from a very early age, like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to be this because that's all my family has ever been and that's all I will ever amount to. I think in this country, the sky's the limit. And generally, we try not to tell kids like, hey, you know, you need to decide at like 10 years old. I, I know that's not what they do in India, but like you need to decide super early on. Like, imagine, like, telling all the 13 and 14-year-olds entering into high school now that they would have to decide what they want to be you know, for, for the rest of their life in terms of their, well, they, in terms of their profession. I don't even think a lot of college kids could tell you that. And they have they, to choose their degree. But, but in I Russia and China, they do do that. Like, for instance, you take a test, you take an exam, whatever you're most proficient on, you go on that track. And that's true for you, part of your – I would say most of the world that's true. Now, I'm not saying it's the best way, but I'm not yeah, – I mean, potentially. 
I mean, that's, a, that's part the concept of it. of it. Because if, if I'm in going to high school and I have to determine what I'm going to do in the future in high school, well, I'm going to try a lot harder in high school because I had to figure out what I'm going to do in the future. So I'm going to do more planning. I'm going to be more strategic on how I do what I'm going to do in high school, which we all end up doing in college. In college, no one's really holding your hand. Like they all tell you you'll find a job as soon as you get out of college, every single college you go to. Problem is that once you're trying to find a job and doing all that stuff, you still have to go about it yourself. You trying to have a meeting with a guidance counselor takes like a whole like two weeks for you to schedule something. My point is that when it comes to this stuff, there's a reason why a lot of these countries are ahead. And it's not because these people are smarter than anybody. Not saying that Chinese people are smarter than American people. What I'm saying is that a lot of those institutions that are in place in terms of education are more geared and garnered towards certain students doing certain things. There's always going to be some people that are going to be better at certain aspects of things than others. Obviously, it's going to be harder for you to find that out in high school. People become smarter at things as they go on in life. Like I became better at math when I went into grad school. Before grad school, I wasn't that great at math. But then you have to learn what you have to do because you have to do it for your profession. Right. So I think that's the thing. And when many of these other countries, they have all that stuff set up. Most people that are going to be doctors are already ready to be doctors by the time they're 10 or 9 or 10 years old. And I'm not saying that you need to force kids to be able to figure out what they want to do. But because that mindset is in place, those people in those countries turn out much more academically successful than in the United States. At but least in, in the narrow times. areas of focus, like if you look, like, look at that whole entrepreneurial spirit, it's a lot of it is interdisciplinary. And that's something you, you might not get that kind of creativity if you're put on a single track from when you're 10 Pratik years old. Pratik is on. saying you are forced into it, okay? You need a reason, and that reason needs to be if you don't do well in math, you're going to sleep on the floor and you're going to starve to death, okay? That's what he wants people to take away from it. No, but and what what I'm saying is that, all right. It's not necessarily college, healthy. In high school, right? What did what did we learn from taking things like AP Euro and AP US? I loved AP Euro and AP U, in, in AP US. But my point is, how did that really impact what I was going to do? Because I wanted to study what I was going to study, it benefited me. But now if I was going to be a business owner, why do I care what happened in Poland in the 1800s and like how they suffered from a famine? Like that does not matter to me and what I want to do. But history, why does it matter history, to a doctor? History repeats itself. Like what we were in the past is largely what we are today. What we see then could happen now. I think that's it crucially important for the rest of your life like personally i i think i think it's how you take it not everything has to be practically applicable to what you're doing for a career for it to be yeah. useful critique also it's showing that you can go through the ropes okay it's like any certification huh? it, the same thing applies to you know all of your school education that in order to qualify for the next level you need to demonstrate that you've attained a minimal understanding of the basics that are required of you whether that's history math another language, whatever, even if you're never going to use it again in your life, the academic system needs to know that, hey, if this person is told to do this thing and memorize these facts and whatever, that they are capable of doing it. Because when they get to higher education, yeah. And honestly, dude, I would agree with you on some of this stuff. Like, frankly, until I was like, I don't know, like 16 years old, I didn't care about any of this stuff. I didn't even care when I started college because I forgot about some of it where it's like, Dude, I only did well in school as a kid because I was terrified of my parents. That's the whole, like, I, I don't know. It's like it was emphasized to them when they were growing up. And it's like if I didn't do well in school, if I got like a B, dude, if I got like a B plus on something, it's like I would get yelled at. I would get like, it, it would be like a whole thing. It was like genuine fear to do well and try to, try to please my parents 
in school. There was no option of not doing well. Um, but then further on, it's like, you know, I got my first service job and I was like, wow, this sucks. I never want to do this again in my life. And then I got another service job. I'm like, this sucks even more. <laughs> I never want to do this again in my life. And then I went to college and I was like, oh, wait, I can just coast and hang out and be social and chill with people. I don't have to care about school. I'm not even motivated by this stuff anyway. And then like a year after that, I was like, man, I'm not doing too hot here. <laughs> Am I even going to be able to get an internship or a job? And then it's like, oh, shoot. Well, let me go do well again. So I don't know, man. I, I guess I agree with you on necessity, but I would just disagree that, you know, I actually don't even know what I disagree on. How did we get so far removed from having calculus classes in California? Because this is this is probably the debate, though, that a lot of these people are having. Like what should we place. emphasize like, in education? Yeah. And I mean, that's going to be a debate that they're having in California. Like, obviously, we can talk about how liberal it is that California is like trying to change math. But I mean, this is a legitimate argument. Like, if we do struggle in education as a whole, it's not because everybody in our country is stupid. It's because there's probably something going on in their institutions that we can change to try to make it so it's more equitable. That is a factual argument. But I mean, obviously, like there's going to be a side that's going to be like, why is why is the government saying what, what my kids should learn in school? But then there's that other side that's saying that your government determines what you learn in school anyway. Yeah. So but then, like, but then the Tyler difference? would say it's culturally driven and that it's the parents who are instilling within the child that, hey, you need to do well in school. It's through your community, through whatever, where if you're surrounded by other people who are also trying to do well in school, then, yeah, you're going to try to do well in school and keep up with your peers. I think the answer has something to do with options and like certainly it has to do with funding, but it's like, if you want to be on the track of I'm 10 and I know I'm going to be a doctor, you should be at a school that like builds doctors, like for sure, a hundred percent. But also I don't think every student's going to thrive in that environment. I don't think every student's going to want to live through that experience. And I think there is benefit to having a broad based education. Personally, I think being well-rounded in that regard is nice until you do choose your vocation. And I say that, but I'm all about well-roundedness too. I'm the same person that likes to study and learn about all kinds of different things. And then I can talk about stuff on the podcast. Like we all do that. Like, well, I mean, obviously this is, you like can't know concept. what you like if you don't try yeah. things, right? Like if you only did math, you may be really good at math, but you might also be good at some other thing that could, can help with your math and you could Put those together and use both of those. And we all kind of studied politics, too. And in politics, we all know that you don't talk about politics, really. You talk about other things because that's how you get further in politics. Like if you're in politics, you got to learn about sports. You got to know about movies. You got to know about books. You got to know about art. You got to know about philosophy. It's not just politics because how old is it going to be to talk about one environmental policy all day long to somebody else that probably agrees with you is pretty boring so yeah. that's but look the look thing. you're you want to be in education. politics maybe knowing sociology and psychology is really helpful to you but that's you fair. wouldn't know that if you were just studying to be a politician for instance also pratik let's be real there is not a single poli sci major who has not complained about math to another poli sci major okay that's something <laughs> that you can fair. bond over that's why calculus should be mandated Yes. Hey, and with that, um, do you guys have any closing thoughts before we end the show? I know Biden did have a gaffe. Um, <laughs> let me see if I can find this quickly. Um, he was talking about the baseball player. Oh, yeah. I thought um, you were talking about his Satchel fart. Page. Satchel Page. The alleged fart. He, he, in he front called of the Satchel of Page. Cornwall or something. I think he called Satchel Page the Great Negro. 
And maybe that was appropriate at the time for the Negro Leagues or whatever. But nowadays, obviously, that sparked a lot of controversy. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of an iffy statement. I think if he told anyone his speech beforehand, they would have gone, whoa, 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 don't say something like that. It was probably off the cuff. I don't think it's too big of a deal. But just in the spirit of having a Biden gaffe of the week, I felt like I was uh, I, I felt like I needed to say it. You know, I never painted and- Biden as a huge baseball fan, but maybe he was there cheering on. The person he was, um, you know, lauding in that. And yeah. I don't know, the MLB these days, I mean, let's be real. It used to be a mainstay of American society, and now uh, people don't really care that much anymore. <laughs> so, well, look, he's a politician. As Pratik said, you need to know sports. You need sports, so you yeah. <laughs> you need sports. And Otherwise, with that, you don't win. <laughs> exactly, you don't win. With that, that's episode 53 of Politicana. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we will catch you next week. Later.